Today's reading is taken from 1 Samuel 3, verses 1 to 21, and it can be found on the Church Bible, page 261. The Lord calls Samuel. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling at the other times. Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons uttered blasphemies against God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until the morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me everything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Bathsheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and then he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Samuel. The start of our passage today said that Samuel was a boy ministering in the house of the Lord. I can imagine the boy Samuel being the kid who got given all the jobs that no one else wanted to do. Like an intern. Samuel 
We know that he was a boy. We don't know how old he was. Possibly, we reckon, maybe aged between 8 and 12, serving in the house of the Lord. And if you had gone to the house of the Lord at the time, uh, you might have noticed this boy in the background, probably, again, washing things up, maybe lighting candles, making sure things were okay in the temple. Not doing any of the big special tasks possibly, but just faithfully serving in the background. But this child had quite a backstory. This child had quite a backstory. First thing we're going to look at is Samuel's setting. There are two things you need to know about Samuel this, and, and the situation that he found himself in. Firstly, this boy, Samuel, was a much longed-for child. If you don't know the story of how Samuel came to be and, came, and his birth came about, uh, his mother, called Hannah, was in great distress because Hannah was not able to have children something that's devastating then and is often devastating for people today as well. Unable to have children. But worse than that, what made it worse was that her husband had a second wife. And this second wife was conceiving many children at that moment and goaded Hannah. She used to uh, tease Hannah and, uh, about how she had lots of children, but Hannah had none And this uh, lady, Hannah, found herself in the temple uh, praying before God, crying out to God. The words in the first chapter of 1 Samuel uh, talk about her, her plea before God. And she finally ends up saying, God, if you would just bless me with a son, I promise that I will dedicate him to you for the whole of his life. Amazingly, miraculously, that happened. Miraculously, she conceived and gave birth uh, to a son, this much longed for son. But possibly even more than that, what was even more amazing was that she followed through on her vow before God. And when the boy had been weaned, we're told, she brought him to Eli, the high priest, and she said to the high priest, Eli, here is the son which I had prayed for here many years ago, and I give him now to you, to the temple of God, to be a person uh, worshipping here at the temple. He's going to hand it over to your service. And hence, you have the boy in the temple. But there's something else you need to know about the situation that he found himself in as well. You might think that being in a temple was an idyllic place to be, wouldn't you? You'd imagine being Samuel's parents and thinking, wow, what a fantastic place for Samuel to be. He's going to be hearing the Torah read. He's going to be surrounded by wonderful models of character. The priests will show him exactly how to live. He will just grow up with this great wise son. Surely he will, being at the temple. But sadly, you need to know that the temple was far from an idyllic place. The nation of Israel was in a little bit of a state. It wasn't in a terrible place. It wasn't awful, but it it wasn't in a great place either. 
It had been led by a number of people known as judges over uh, the previous uh, number of decades. If you want to read about the judges and their stories, uh, read the book of Judges, but be warned, it's an 18-rated book of the Bible. If you want to read those stories. So the kingdom didn't really have a leader but, but the real tough part of the kingdom was the kingdom of Israel uh, was that the priesthood had gone rotten. The priesthood was rotten at the core. Eli, the high priest, had faithfully served, but his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they weren't out of the same mold. His two sons for some reason, had just begun to go off the rails. We're told uh, in uh, chapter 2 how uh, when people used to come with sacrifices that they'd kept and that they were going to bring before God, Hophni and Phinehas used to take the sacrifices and take it for themselves rather than it being offered before God. They'd say, no, 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 we don't, no, don't offer that before God. We'll have that. Thank you very much. We're told, in fact, the, the Bible explicitly says that what they did was evil and that they were treating the God's uh, worship, the worship of God, with contempt. It gets worse than that, though. Not only were they doing that, we're told that they used to go and sleep with any of the women who came to offer sacrifices at the tent of meeting, indulging their earthly passions. Contempt for worship, contempt for those people who were coming before God. And worse than that, word had got out. Word had spread throughout Israel that this was happening. Eli, we're told in chapter 2, says to his sons, Don't you know that this is happening? Don't you know that this word has got out? Everyone in Israel knows about this, but he can't control his sons. This elderly high priest can't control his sons who are now running the temple. And all the people know that when Eli, the high priest, dies, it's these two scoundrels, Scripture calls them. It says they were scoundrels. These two scoundrels would take over the leadership of Israel. And they knew, gosh, things could go horribly wrong. And into this setting, we know that Samuel came. The boy Samuel placed into this situation. What was Samuel's attitude in this situation? Well, I mentioned already how Samuel was faithfully serving in the background. One of the things that I find amazing about Samuel was how in that situation, how in the situation of serving in the temple, he wasn't himself corrupted by Hophni and Phinehas. It wouldn't surprise me if Hophni and Phinehas had, try and, had tried to sort of bring Samuel into their kind of, uh, their evil living. Hey, Samuel, come and, come and eat this best meat that we've got. Oh, and by the way, Samuel, those guys over there, I like the, the look of the lamb they're bringing. Can you go and get that for us and have it roasted for us, please? And hey, come on, Samuel, we're sleeping with the women who are here coming. Why don't you come and join us? Some of my friends uh, I've talked to occasionally who've uh, gone to boarding school, uh, when they're taken out of the context of their family home and have gone away to boarding school, just sometimes uh, have talked about the, the difficulty of being placed in a completely different culture 24 hours a day and, not being, and, and just the, the difficulty of not going along with whatever was going around uh, with whatever the, the kids who were there at their school. It happens for students sometimes when they move away from home for the first time and the situation they find themselves in, surrounded by certain culture or certain lifestyle, how difficult it is not to be sucked into that. Or maybe the first job uh, that you remember uh, taking up. 
whatever it might be, Samuel was in this setting. And it is amazing that somehow he wasn't corrupted by the system that was there. Instead, Samuel faithfully served. I guess I have this image of uh, Hophni and Phinehas off doing whatever they were doing. They were there choosing the best meat for them to eat while Samuel was washing up the cups. He was doing the bits that no one else noticed in the background, lighting the candles, making sure the place was clean. How when Hophni and Phinehas were yet again sleeping with some of the women uh, who had come uh, to serve, uh, rather than joining them, Samuel was with Eli, the high priest, who was struggling with his eyesight possibly and helping him to read the Torah so that he could engage with God as well. Samuel was just faithfully serving in the background. That's the image, I guess, that I have of Samuel. Reminds me a little bit of this uh, young lady, if I don't know how many of you recognize her, uh, Greta Thunberg, Swedish, uh, 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 I guess, environmental activist, Uh, who um, decided, I think age 15, that she was going to um, boycott school. No, no, because she was going on strike from school and and protest outside the Swedish um, uh, parliament um, to say, uh, because she didn't like the fact uh, that so many, uh, the the way that we, her parents' generation, I guess, were treating uh, the nation, uh, sorry, not treating the world environmentally, uh, but instead wanted to strike uh, against that and say that things should change. I don't think that Greta wanted to make a sort of big media presence. I think she was just faithfully in her own way as a young person saying, what can I do about this? I'm just going to faithfully serve in the background. And I think for us, the lesson from this as we begin this series on Samuel is do not underestimate quiet faithfulness. Do not underestimate quiet, simple faithfulness to God. That was what Samuel was doing. And I think sometimes we need to hear that. I think sometimes, uh, well, I think we live in an age where uh, we uh, often, or I've heard many times, you know, say to kids and children, you can do whatever you can, whatever you want in life. Just set your mind to it and you can go and do it. Uh, But then often people realize they can't do it. Or they have these massive expectations. I'm going to go and change the world. I'm going to do this, that, or the other but often forget that it begins with a quiet sense of faithfulness in the secret place where no one else is watching what Samuel was doing. I think of uh, a young lady when I was was a curate. uh, I used to run a a group uh, called Funky, which stood for Finished University, No Kids Yet. Um, And we used to meet uh, every week uh, at at my house. It was a group of people uh, in their 20s. And um, there were a whole number of different characters uh, who used to come along. But I remember one particular uh, lady who, uh, who came along. She just, uh, just graduated, had just moved back home. And she was very shy. She was very quiet. Um, she uh, was very low, I guess, had very low self-esteem, I guess. Was, was, you know, uh, and she'd found her university days very tricky and had come home slightly broken from them. Um, but she came along every single week to our group. The sort, of, the sort of person who wouldn't say boo to a goose, if you know what I mean. Every week uh, she came along. And I only found out later that after coming along for maybe two or three months, as one evening she decided to give her life to Jesus. She wasn't a Christian before then. She decided, I think I've heard, I'm, I'm going to give my life to God. 
So she gave her life to Jesus. And over the next six months or so, we just saw her gently blossom, become more self-confident into who God had made her to be. Uh, become, uh, you know, she, she was an amazing cake maker. Every week she'd bring along some new fantastic cake. We used to set her challenges for ingredients we'd give her, and she had to make a cake using these certain ingredients. Uh, one time we gave her Cadbury's cream eggs she had to make it out of, so she put Cadbury's cream eggs in, but didn't put any sugar in, because the Cadbury's cream eggs uh, would kind of be instead of the sugar. It didn't work. Don't recommend that. But she, faithfully she'd come along every week and would just serve us. She wasn't the life and soul of the party. She wasn't loud and in your face. Instead, her quiet, personal relationship with God slowly slowly grew and blossomed. And it was a delight to see. Now, this isn't about whether someone is an introvert or an extrovert. This isn't about whether someone is the life and soul of the party or not. But it's about not underestimating quiet faithfulness. And I believe that in each of our walks with God, there are key moments, if not regular moments, where the thing that matters is what happens in our relationship with God when no one else is watching and it's not in front of anybody else. I think those are some of the key moments of our faith. What is your relationship with God like when no one else is looking? Does it exist even or not? What is your relationship with God like? And I can think of a number of people. Let me give you some other examples. I can think of a number of people who are previous members of this church I mentioned that at our earlier service. Those of you maybe have heard of these names. People like Eric Warren or Nell Corey, or Jean Darcy, or Anne Bolland, and many others. People who quietly served this community here. They're, those four people, they were all, uh, sadly, we've taken their funerals uh, over the last few years. Uh, yet they faithfully served here, and I would love to be like them. I would aspire to be like them in their service, in their love of people, and in their care. So that was Samuel's attitude. In the background, Samuel's attitude was one of faithful service. And I think that that is and can be a model for us today. John, uh, John Tyson, he's a uh, New York uh, uh, preacher, and I heard him speak uh, a while ago. And he, uh, he works with a number of people uh, in their 20s and 30s. Uh, and I remember uh, him saying to me, he had lots of them who came to him and said, I want to live a radical life. I want to be a radical person in my life. What should I do to be a radical, uh, to be a, a radical Christian? And his response, he said, you want to be a radical Christian? Give away 10% of your income. And read your Bible and pray every day. That's pretty radical. And a number of the people in the 20s would be like, oh, oh I, was, I, was hoping, I was hoping for something bigger than that. Do I, but do I have to do that sort of stuff? And his answer was, well, that's the foundation for anything else you want to do. And actually that will grow your relationship with God. It's not about that other stuff. Sure, other stuff might grow out of that. Again, thinking of Greta. Other stuff might grow out of that. Think of Samuel. We're told, actually, as we'll, as we'll dis- discover over the following weeks, that Samuel's ministry, he grew into leading an extraordinary ministry. But this is where it began. Faithful, quiet service. 
So what about uh, this? Uh, what, what about Samuel's call? What about his relationship with uh, God? Where did this take him? This quiet faithfulness. Well, I don't know if you noticed uh, in the reading, there was a slightly strange verse, verse 7 uh, in, uh, in the passage. Um, it says this. It says, when, when, when God was calling Samuel, it says that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. I read that and I think, that's a little bit odd. It says Samuel didn't yet know God. And actually, in the chapter before, chapter 3, we're told three or four times how Samuel was in the presence of God. We're told Samuel grew up in the presence of God, serving in God's house. So he was growing up in the presence of God, yet somehow he did not yet know God. Now, we were talking about this at, uh, at staff meeting uh, last week. Uh, and just kind of debating this and, uh, as we do each week and kind of throwing some ideas around. And one of the things that we talked about was actually how, although it might seem a little bit odd in this passage, that experience, that process is one that I think I've heard a number of times in different people's lives. That actually, uh, the, the, the story that I regularly hear from people is, I started coming along to church, or I've been coming along to church for a number of years, and the, but it was only after two or three years when it, it sort of finally clicked. And I finally feel that I've now got a relation, personal relationship with God. And that somehow people went at some point from being in the presence of God, being maybe with the people of God in church or wherever it might be, and, and transitioning at some point to knowing God, having a relationship with him. Now, that's not true for everybody. For some people, there's, uh, it, all, it all kind of happens at the same time, or they're really impacted by something, and, it, and, and, it, yeah, and it all happens. But for Samuel's life, and I'm sure for a number of us here, it, it's just that gradual process, or in some way of changing from being in the presence of God to knowing God. And the wonderful reality for us today is that all of us here, all of you, can know God. One of the things about the Old Testament was that in the Old Testament, uh, God's kind of uh, made himself kind of uh, had a personal relationship with only a few people. We talked about the Holy, the, kind of the, 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 the Holy Spirit only coming on certain people for certain tasks at certain moments in the Old Testament. Yet one of the amazing things about the New Testament, uh, and we celebrated this at Pentecost a couple of weeks ago, was that God's Spirit, that personal relationship, is available for everybody. And that through Jesus' death on the cross, all of us can have that personal uh, kind of intimate relationship uh, with God. All of us can. You can as well. Uh, I heard some sad news uh, the other day. In fact, yesterday. Uh, those of you who know Newtown, um, you'll know uh, the Talbot Pub, which is just down the road, uh, known in the past as just the Dog uh, Pub. I heard yesterday the sad news that the Talbot is closing. Uh, those of you, uh, it, it, it's the last pub in Newtown. Apparently, there used to be quite a few. If you look at some of the houses around there, you can see the fronts and the way that they're kind of uh, uh, set, and you can imagine them being shops or whatever. But Talbot is the sort of the last one that's been there for many, many, many years, and it's sadly closing. And uh, I walked past uh, the door and, uh, yesterday and uh, looked in, and I saw Pat, Patrick, he's the, uh, the, the, the publican, the landlord there, uh, gave him a wave. And he gave me a wave back, and he dashed out the door to come and say hi to me. Um, and I uh, got chatting with him, and uh, he was very sad that it was closing. It's not his, he said it's not his decision. Uh, the pub's owned by some larger chain, and it just wasn't making enough money, and so they've sold it for housing. It's just going to become some more housing in Newtown, which I find very sad. 
But I remember getting to know uh, Pat. Uh, I remember when I first arrived uh, as vicar, and I knew that was the pub just down the road uh, from the church. And I thought, hey, you know, as a good local vicar, I should probably go in and, you know, get to know the local landlord. That's probably where lots of the chat, chat from the area goes in. And like, I remember going in a few times, getting a drink, you know, saying hello to him and just sitting down and, you know, no one talking to me and having a drink, watching TV and then leaving. That happened, uh, happened on a few occasions. And I remember, I can't remember exactly, exactly when it happened, but I think when we started having our Worship at Seven services, our, our evening services, there were a couple of evenings where after Worship at Seven, I was passing the pub and I saw Pat and gave him a wave and I just, I popped in. And Sunday evening was a pretty, you know, dead time uh, for, them, uh, for them there, so there wasn't, weren't many people in there. And there were certainly a couple of evenings when I just ended up getting into a really great conversation with him. I remember I was chatting for ages about the similarities between my job and his job. He said that, you know, he said anyone can come in here and talk to me, and people often do come and discuss anything they want. And he said, and I'm here to serve the community. I'm here to be here and just provide a space where people can come and meet and network with each other and things like that. And I said, hey, that sounds just like church, but without God. Anyway, I I remember I just got to know Pat. And the reason I tell that story is that I went from being kind of in Pat's presence in his pub at the start of the story, when I'd just kind of be there and hanging around him, to transitioning to actually knowing him and having a friendship with him. So much so that when I was chatting to him yesterday, he said, Do you know, I'd, I'd, he doesn't know where he's going to live because he owns it. Well, he doesn't, know, sorry, he doesn't own it, but he lives. The, the job there comes with a house above, above it. He doesn't know where he's going to live, but he said, but I'd love to come back. I might even come to church, he says. I'll come and see you at church. Went from a position of being in his presence to knowing him. And that is the same transition that each of us can make in our lives as well with God. And sometimes it's just that sort of one-off thing as it happened here with Samuel, but sometimes, sometimes it's a constant thing. I find constantly that my, I have a great relationship with God and then I find that over a number of weeks, maybe either because I haven't I've read my Bible or I've read it in a sort of legalistic way and I haven't actually engaged with God over it. I sort of drift a bit into, oh yeah, God's with me. His presence is with me, but do I know him? I've actually got a relationship with him right now. And so I I want another encouragement for us today. Quiet faithfulness in pursuing a personal relationship with Jesus. A personal relationship with God. And if you don't feel you have that, if you feel, you know, I'd love to have that, I don't, feel I, I don't feel like I have, I encourage you, maybe today or maybe when you're home, maybe before bed, kneeling down next to your bed and saying, God, I would love to know you. I would love to have that sort of personal relationship that Graham was talking about this morning. Please, Lord, lead me in that. And he will. He takes those sorts of prayers very seriously. So that was Samuel's relationship with God. Now, something I've already hinted at is that this led on to Samuel's ministry. And Samuel's ministry was, as we will read over the coming weeks, an extraordinary ministry. It began with this, uh, this situation with him and his family, leading on uh, to this call that we see here in the reading that we've had today. We read that Samuel was... Uh, Asleep, it was at night time. He was, he was asleep uh, in, in and around uh, the tent of meeting and that God called him and said, Samuel, Samuel. Just as an aside, I've been, uh, as part of my uh, Bible reading, I've been uh, listening to the Bible in one year. Uh, it's a, a, an app you can get called Bible in one year and uh, just you know, plug my headphones into it while I'm doing the washing up or tidying or whatever and it's a great way to just be listening to scripture uh, every day and it's read by David Suchet who it was uh, Poirot for those of you who know uh, those, um, 
those of you who know that TV series, and he's just got the most wonderful deep voice. And I remember this bit. He, I don't know if he puts an extra deep voice on when it comes to speaking as if he was God. You know, Samuel, Samuel. I think, wow, yeah, great. He's, all, he's here with me, <laughs> you know, as I'm listening to it. Samuel, Samuel. And um, so Samuel, the boy, the young boy, hears this, and he rushes to Eli, and he says to Eli, here I am. He thinks it's the high priest Eli. Eli says, go back to bed, it wasn't me. So he goes back, and again it happens. Here I am, it wasn't me. And then a third time, here I am. And he says, and, and at, at that point, uh, the high priest clocks, ah, I've just clocked. It's God. Go back, and if you hear it again, say, your servant is listening. So Samuel goes back. He hears that voice, Samuel, Samuel. And he says, here I am. You'll speak. Your servant is listening. And God tells him something. Now, wouldn't that be, we, uh, we kind of think, sometimes I think, wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have God speak to you like that? Wow, wouldn't that be incredible? <laughs> Except that God gives him a really, really, really tough message. God says to him, Samuel, I'm here to let you know I'm going to bring destruction and judgment on the house of Eli because of what, Samuel, what Eli's sons are doing and because of the rottenness of worship. I'm going to have to dig it out, dig out that rot and throw it away. There's this wonderful expression in there. I don't know if you uh, remember it or picked up on it when, uh, when Tracy read it for us. Uh, it said, I'm going to do something that will make the ears of those who hear it tingle. I'm going to do something big in Israel, something unheard of. Now, of course, the next morning, Eli goes to Samuel and says, Samuel, Samuel. And uh, I can imagine Samuel saying, is this, is this Eli of God now? I'm still not quite sure anymore. Oh, no, Eli, this is you this time. Yes. And Eli says, tell me, tell me. In fact, again, if you read it, he, asks him, he says some very strong words to him. He says, you know, uh, you have got to tell me exactly what happens. God, be, deal with you, be it very so severely, if you hold anything back from what God said. And Samuel tells Eli the message of judgment and destruction that's going to come on Eli's household. The, re, the refashioning of the nation. It's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And Eli, in his you know, defense, says, okay, whatever God's will, we will go with that. And from there, Samuel goes and has, and as I've already said, an extraordinary ministry of service, of being the judge uh, in the area. Being the last, the reason it's the last judge is that after Samuel, uh, and this is a whole part of the story, come the kings. Samuel ushers in the uh, coming of the kings leading Israel. He was the last judge, aka the last Jedi, before the kings arrive. An extraordinary ministry, yet it the basis of the ministry was his quiet faithfulness of following. And I think that's the main challenge for us today. And the main thing that I want us just to kind of focus on and I want to leave with us. Quiet faithfulness. How is your personal relationship with God? And are you inputting into it? What does it mean for you to prioritize Seeing if you can carve out a bit of time every day to spend time with God. Reading the Bible, praying. What, is it, what would it mean to carve out a bit of time each week to maybe be part of a connect group, meet with other people? What would it mean to prioritize church on a Sunday? Now, all of those things can very quickly become legalistic. 
oh, I'm okay because I read my Bible every day. Or I'm okay because I go to church every Sunday. Or I'm okay because I give X amount of money to church. But that's not what it's about. It's about our personal relationship with God. But all those things do help in a big way. But how is your relationship with God? And that actually, with that deepening relationship uh, with God, God calls us to things that sometimes are very mundane and sometimes are extraordinary. But our response is to be like Samuel did, like Samuel was. I'm going to finish with this. We don't hear many words from Samuel in these chapters. And in fact, I actually think that's very, it's quite interesting. You hear all these events going on and you just hear Samuel's life sort of weaved around them, this boy in the temple, but you don't actually hear Samuel say very much, but that's because he's busy serving. He's not the one at the front doing stuff. He's busy serving. But the words that we hear him say four times in, in today's reading, he says, here I am. And I think he had an attitude of, here I am. Here I am to people. Here I am. What can I do? What can I do to help? How can I serve? Saying to God, here I am. What can I, what can I do? I'd love to help. God, whatever you have for me, just, yeah, send me. Fine. And I think that's a lesson for all of us today. The music team are going to uh, come up and uh, they're just going to uh, play uh, a song. Uh, for us, and I just encourage us to use these words as a prayer. So I suggest we remain, remain seated for, as they play it through. Uh, if we just listen to it, and it's about us surrendering ourselves before God. Um, so I'm just going to pray for us now, and then we'll listen to the words of this song, and then I'll hand over to, well, Ralph will then lead us through the uh, rest of our time together. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we've heard today the story of this um, extraordinary, extraordinary boy, Samuel. And I know that for me, I'm humbled when I hear his story. And so, Heavenly Father, we come again before you today. We would love to have the depth of relationship that we see in this passage that Samuel had with you. And you know each of our individual hearts. You know each of our individual backstories, if you like. We're talking about Samuel's backstory. You know our stories, Lord. And we lay them before you this morning. Asking that, Lord, would you lead us and show us what we need to be doing in our lives to grow deeper in relationship with you. Lead and guide our walk with you, we pray. Amen.